Welcome to episode 14 in Revelation, an idealist interpretation. I'm Father Ron Shibley, founder and director of the Anglican Internet Church and producer of this series. Revisions to this series are part of the AIC's continuing celebration of the start of its second decade on the web. If you have not already viewed episode 2, which includes my primer on numerology in Revelation, I urge you to do so, since understanding how John used numerology is critical to understanding Revelation and this series. Once again, John's perspective is heaven, as it has been since the start of chapter 6. The illustration throughout this sequence is locusts upon the earth, an illumination in tempera and gold on parchment from the St. Sever Beatus from the 11th century, from the collection of the Bibliothèque Nationale in Paris, France. I have divided chapter 9 into two parts, the first being verses 1 through 12, an account of the first three woes prophesied in Revelation 8, 13, the final verse in chapter 8. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit, and he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die, and death will flee from them. The shape of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth, and they had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions, and there were stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men five months. And they had as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon. But in Greek he has the name Apollyon. One woe is past. Behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. There are two theories concerning the identity of the star that fell from heaven to earth in verse 1a. He may be an angel like the one John sees come down from heaven in Revelation 20, verse 1. Or, and this is the most popular theory in the early church, he is the fallen angel, Satan or Lucifer, from Isaiah 14, verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. 
The reference to the key to the bottomless pit in verse 1b has unmistakable roots in both Old Testament and Hebrew understandings concerning the resting place of the dead and also in the New Testament. John will use the term the pit several additional times in Revelation, in 9-11, 11-7, and again in 17-8 and 20 verses 1-3. to To the Hebrews of that day, the dead resided in darkness in Sheol, also called the abyss, from the Greek abyssos, which means bottomless, and abaddon in Revelation 9 verse 11. The book of Psalms includes numerous references to the fate of the dead and their resting places. For more on the traditional Christian teachings concerning hell, Hades, and Satan, see the Hades and Satan entries in the AIC bookstore publication, Layman's Lexicon. In the New Testament, in his opening vision in Revelation 1.18, St. John quoted Jesus saying, I hold the keys of Hades and death. The illustration is a 14th century Russian Orthodox icon, the harrowing of Hades, in which Jesus stands with one foot on each of the gates of Hades, with Adam in white and Eve in red, whom he has raised from the pit with the open pit below containing keys and a shrouded corpse, the latter signifying those who will not be raised from the dead. In St. Luke's account of Jesus' encounter with the Gadarene demons, Jesus himself speaks a phrase which indicates that even the demons had the same ancient fear as the Hebrews of the abyss or the pit. From Luke 8.31, and they begged him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. The illustration is a 6th century Byzantine-style mosaic of the event at the Basilica of Santa Polinari Nuova, Ravenna, Italy. Smoke rising from the bottomless pit in verse 2 suggests both the smoke from the, quote, fire that shall never be quenched, unquote, in Mark 9, verse 45, and the concept of literal darkness in Sheol, similar to that expressed in the Benedictus, the song and prophecy of Zacharias in Luke 179, in which he refers to deliverance for those sitting in, quote, darkness and the shadow of death. The Eastern Orthodox scholars in the Orthodox Study Bible, New Testament, and Psalms suggest that the smoke could be an allusion to the spiritual darkness that will descend during the judgment. The reference to locusts in verse 3 also reflects well-known ancient incidents in Jewish history recounted in the Old Testament. The plague of locusts is similar to the 6th, 8th, and ninth plagues in Egypt described in Exodus 9 and 10. Through this sequence, the illustration is the miniature illumination or detail from it from the Bamberg Apocalypse as used on page 78 of the companion book, Revelation, an Idealist Interpretation. The actual details of the locusts in verses 7 to 10 are strikingly similar to the two accounts of the day of the Lord and the wasting of the land described by the prophet Joel, the first in Joel 2 verse 4. 
Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like swift steeds, so they run with a noise like chariots. And even more similarly, in Joel 1, verses 4 and 6, what the chewing locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the crawling locust has eaten. And what the crawling locust left, the consuming locust has eaten. His teeth are the teeth of a lion, and he has the fangs of a fierce lion. In the illustration, a detail from the fifth trumpet in the Bamberg Apocalypse, as used on page 78 of Revelation and Idealist Interpretation, you can see that St. John's detail differs from Joel's. Where Joel's locusts resemble lions, St. John's are horses with the faces of men and the hair of women. In verses 3, 5, 6, and 10, St. John evokes another fearsome image well understood in the arid deserts of the Holy Land and also grounded in the Old Testament scriptural tradition, the scorpion. Note the scorpion's stinging tail. St. John's account sounds much like the one in Exodus 9.10 of a scorpion whose sting does not kill, quote, but perhaps may make one long for death, but it is not death. Several other powerful images in verses 7, 8, and 9 are faces of men, breastplates of iron, and crowns of gold, have strong parallel in the garments of the temple priests and the temple decorations described in the Old Testament histories, especially 1 Kings chapter 6 and 7 and in 2 Chronicles chapter 3 and 4. The concept of mercy is suggested again in verses 5 and 6. These locusts may harm only those who have not been sealed by God, which refers to everyone not sealed in chapter 7. The locusts or scorpions cannot kill, but they may torment for five months. Again, as in Exodus 9 verse 10, those stung will desire death and not find it. John again demonstrates his knowledge of Greek storytelling styles in the final two verses. In verse 11, the next to final verse in the account of the fifth trumpet, he refers by name, first in Hebrew and then in Greek, to the king or angel of the bottomless pit, Abaddon or Apollyon in Greek. Abaddon is referred to in the Old Testament in the same context twice, in Job 28, 22, and in 31, 12. In Greek, Apollyon means destroyer. In the New Testament, St. Peter uses a similar term in Second Peter 2, verse 4, to refer to the fate of the angels expelled from heaven, but used a New Testament Greek word, tataru, which derives from the Greek tatarus, which refers to the deepest part of Hades, the Greek parallel to Sheol and the bottomless pit. In the final verse of the fifth trumpet account, verse 12, John uses another Greek chorus to offer an intermission as a portent of things to come and a device to increase the sense of anticipation, wherein the final verse of chapter 8, 
which is verse 9, the voices say, whoa, whoa, whoa. In the final verse of chapter 9, the narrative announces one woe is past. Behold, two more woes are coming after these. The second and final set of readings for episode 14 is verses 13 through 20. The illustration for this slide and the next several slides is the sixth trumpet from the Sansaver Beatus. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Now the number of the army of the horsemen was two hundred million. I heard the number of them, and thus I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue, and sulfur yellow. And the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. By these three plagues a third of mankind was killed, by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents having heads, and with them they do harm. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. In this series of verses, St. John's evocation of Hebrew numerology becomes even more important with the appearance of the numbers in order of use four, one-third, two-thirds, three, and two hundred million, or two hundred thousand thousands in the King James Version, and I will offer more in a moment on the difference between the two translations. After the sixth angel sounds his trumpet in verses 13 and 14, the voice from the four horns of the golden altar orders the release of the four angels waiting or bound at the great river Euphrates where they had been bound, meaning prepared, waiting for the proper hour and day and month and year with authority granted to kill one-third of mankind. This is another example of divine mercy being shown in that two-thirds are not killed. The great river Euphrates is near the modern city of Baghdad, and it was the eastern limit of known civilization at the end of the first century when John wrote Revelation. It is in the region of the Babylonian captivity of the Hebrew people. The four horns of the golden altar in verse 13 has an Old Testament precedent in the altar of burnt offerings commanded by God in Exodus 27 verses 1 and 2. 
You shall make an altar of acacia wood five cubits long and five cubits wide. The altar shall be square, and its height will be three cubits. You shall make its horns on its four corners. Its horns shall be of one piece with it, and you shall overlay it with bronze. The means and manner of the death of one-third of mankind is described in verses 16 to 19 in which an army of horsemen of fantastical numbers, with faces like lions and tails like serpents, and wearing breastplates of either fiery red, hyacinth blue, or sulfur yellow, and note that there are three colors, and they breathe three plagues. The illustration from the Bamberg Apocalypse shows three horses, each with a rider wearing a breastplate of the correct color. Numerology appears again in verses 18 and 20, in which the killing is accomplished by the means of three plagues, fire, smoke, and brimstone, which come out of the mouths of the horses. The method evokes the Old Testament precedent of the destruction of, quote, all inhabitants, quote, unquote, of Sodom and Gomorrah by brimstone falling from the sky in Genesis 19, verse 24. The significant difference here is that the destruction from heaven upon Sodom and Gomorrah, which was total, happened before the flood and the rainbow covenant, God's promise not to destroy all again. In the final verses 20 and 21, St. John offers a list of the offenses of the remaining two-thirds of mankind who do not repent, who are guilty of violations of the Ten Commandments, specifically idolatry, murder, theft, and sexual immorality or adultery, as well as sorcery. His descriptions of the idols in verse 20 exhibits once again his extensive knowledge of the Old Testament with an obvious reference to Psalm 115, verses 4, 5, and 6, which speaks of idols of silver and gold, even the work of men's hands. They have mouths and speak not, eyes they have and see not. They have ears and hear not, noses have they and smell not. Here I want to take a few moments to comment on the number of horsemen. This is a case where the King James Version more correctly conveys St. John's meaning, giving the number as 200,000. As I explained in the Primer on Revelation in Episode 2, the Hebrew word translated as thousand means a great many and does not refer to a specific number. Therefore, 200,000 thousands means a vast number beyond human comprehension, even beyond the estimated actual population of the earth at the end of the first century when Revelation was written, and is not a literal number such as the 200 million in the New King James text. Thank you for joining me for episode 14 of Revelation, an Idealist Interpretation. Next time in episode 15, the focus is on chapter 10, 
the revelation of the mighty angel and the little book. Other AIC resources on topics discussed in this episode include the Christian Education video series, The Twelve Days of Christmas, in which the key word for the ninth day of Christmas, January 2nd, is angels. From the AIC Bookstore, in the companion book in the series, Revelation, an Idealist Interpretation, presented in 214 pages with 52 illustrations, 51 of them from the Bamberg Apocalypse, including Chapter 9, and the illustrations on pages 78 and 81. My primer on numerology and revelation is found on pages 7 to 11. In the Gospel of Luke, annotated and illustrated, the healing of the Gadarene demonic is illustrated on page 91. In the writing prophets of the Old Testament, Joel is the subject of chapter 2, pages 65 to 70. In the prayer book Psalter, history text and commentary, Psalm 115, a psalm of David, and the third of six Hallel songs, or Songs of Ascent, is found on pages 267 to 268. Finally, in layman's lexicon, key words of interest are abyss, angels slash archangels, commandments, day of the Lord, Hades, mercy, numerology, prayer, and Satan. The key to accessing everything produced by the Anglican Internet Church is available at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net, where we've made it easier for you to learn about Christian education, doctrine, worship, and study using your preferred way of learning. You can watch our Bible study, Christian education, and seasonal video series using the links on either the digital library or Bible study pages. If you prefer listening, you can listen to the podcast versions of any of our videos using the links on the podcast archive page or to our podcast homilies for all the Sundays in the 1928 Book of Common Prayer using the links on the podcast homilies page. If you prefer written works, you can access any of the 17 AIC bookstore publications, all but one available in both paperback and Kindle editions, using the virtual bookstore link at the bottom of the homepage, or directly using my Amazon Author Central page, https colon right slash right slash www.amazon.com right slash author right slash Ronald hyphen e hyphen Shibley. Everything after dot com must be in lowercase letters. I also invite you to subscribe to my blog page at www Anglican Internet Church, accessible through the Father Ron's blog tab at the top or the bottom of any page on the site. By clicking the Follow Anglican Internet Church legend, you'll be invited to register your email address, and receive notice of all new postings. Please be assured that we do not share subscriber information with any other organization. 
and you can ask for the removal of your address at any time. Until next time, may the Lord bless and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be merciful to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Glory be to God for all things. Amen. This program has been a presentation of the Anglican Internet Church. We invite you to visit our website and make use of its resources at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net.